Hello and welcome to Leadership Behaviours Unpacked. I'm delighted to be joined today by business consultant and coach Nick Cramp. Nick works with growing businesses and is also the founder and facilitator of the Curious Leaders Network. He's written many articles looking at what defines business success and supporting business leaders to rethink what that means for their own businesses. Nick supports business leaders in a really creative way, helping them to understand what is next for their business and taking them through a transformation process that enables them to think, refocus and plan for the future. His focus is very much on better before bigger. Nick ran his own business for many years before switching to his current role and he has certainly inspired me as I've developed my own business. I actually met Nick through our mutual love of triathlon And whilst talking about our local club, we soon realised that we also had a shared passion and quite strong opinions um, about business and leadership. Nick is about to launch his first book, which is called Better Before Bigger, Rethinking Business Success. I think this is a really exciting development and it will enable a lot of business owners and leaders to really think about where they're going and how they're going to get there and not in a traditional way that we've often seen business growth models portray. So it's with great pleasure that I welcome Nick to the podcast today. Okay, so uh, I'd like to welcome Nick Cramp to the podcast today. Nick, I'm absolutely thrilled that you can join me today and talk about your experiences in business um, and the imminent publication of your first book, uh, which is really exciting. And we've had many discussions about the concepts that underpin your book. Um, And I'm really excited to see that come to fruition in the next few months. And I wanted to share it as well with kind of anyone who's listening today. So um, I'll do a little tag at the end, which um, will let people know what it's called and when to look out for it. But I wanted to start really with that because I think when uh, we talked about the book, it brings together a huge amount of thinking and work that you've done throughout your career. So can you start by just telling me a little bit about the book that you've written? Sure. So first of all, Jane, thank you for inviting me. I'm looking forward to this conversation as well, because we've had many good ones over the past few years, and it's really nice to be working on this with you. I think the reason for doing the book was to help my ideal clients or a sector of clients that I see regularly, who I feel get uh, become trapped by their business, is the best way of putting it. So I've called it the success trap because generally these businesses are successful if you're using standard external measures so like size of business year-on-year growth headcount a lot of this 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 stage businesses which is adolescent so they're not yet at the stage where they've got a sustainable repeatable product but they are growing very quickly and what happens is the owner entrepreneur that started it as a technician generally yeah becomes the focal point within the center of the business so they've got a hub and spoke structure and they just keep adding more spokes yeah and therefore their days get longer their weekends get shorter their stress levels get higher and although to the outside world their business looks successful they don't feel successful and they can't see a way through this. And this is something I've witnessed 
a number of times with companies I've worked with and leaders I've worked with over the last 15 years. So it's a very recognisable trait once you know what you're looking for. Um, And I felt the best way I can help these people is to articulate both why they're at, why they're feeling like they're feeling, but also what to do to move past this point. Because what's clear to me is that more of the same isn't the solution. So just working harder isn't going to get them out of this equation. In fact, it's going to bury them. You know, more sales at the moment is actually a double-edged sword. So you've got that situation in a company where a big new order comes in and the sales team are really happy and they're really excited because there's a big new order. And there's just an organisational groan from the rest of the company because they haven't got the capacity to take it on. And everyone's caught in this really confused paradoxical state between being happy but being overwhelmed, (laughs) being successful but being trapped, and they can't see the way out of it because Mm. they've got a year-on-year target to hit, because the leader's plugged that into his mentality that success means year-on-year growth. Yeah. And they haven't got a different reference frame to work from. And what I'm trying to do with the book is give them a different way of looking at this. So a reframing exercise saying, well, if you didn't believe this and you believe this instead, Mm. what difference would it make to the way the organisation operated? Yeah. You know, if this is not getting you what you want, why are you advocating it? Why are you doing more of it? Yeah. It's an it's a really interesting you, you talk you use the word paradox, Nick, and I think that's a really important word here because I think we often look in at people who own businesses of the size that you're talking and think they're lucky and they kind of have it all and they have, you know, this success. They get to work for themselves, they get to um control what they do. But actually the reality is often really different to that, isn't it? Yeah, most of the time I think they don't control what they do. The business controls them. You know, they're dictated by their inbox, they're dictated by their direct reports, they're dictated by their customers. They're very much a spinning top operating between these different stakeholders and trying unrealistically to satisfy all their needs and demands. And I think the crucial change is that them working for the business, switching to the business working for them. Yeah. So what does that look like? You know, can they envisage a time where they can go on holiday and not take their laptop? Yeah. You know, is there a way that they could actually operate the whole of Sunday without checking email? Yeah. Is that a possibility for them? And if not, why not? So so in in terms of kind of who needs to read this book, because I think quite often... um, I imagine that clients will come to you when they're starting to feel overwhelmed and they're starting to almost think about selling the business as their only way out of it in some cases. Mm-hmm. So, and, and actually people start, don't they? So you, you, people start these businesses because they see either an opportunity for a better life, um, an opportunity for a better work life, or they see a gap in the market and think, I've got just the product for that and I can do this myself. So they start that with a spark and a passion to create something better. And then suddenly, as you say, the, the business is running them, they're overwhelmed, and it's not the dream they thought it was gonna be when that started. If you're, what is your ideal reader for your book? 
I think there's three personas that I'm trying to assist with the book. I think the first one is that business owner. So adolescent stage business, turnover between half a million and five million, some people working for them, an established product, an established customer base, but no real clarity on what the future looks like apart from more of the same. So got to stage, you know, got to a certain point of success but not really clear on what the next phase looks like. So that trapped business owner. I think also the book will work for C-level leaders. So those people below the chief executive, finance, sales, operation, marketing, those kind of C-level positions where, again, they need to understand a different way to operate the business. The people below them are really stressed because of the demands they're putting business on them. And these people have more authority and more ability to change that than sometimes they give themselves credit. Yeah. And I think that if you're in a leadership position, you have an obligation to the people you lead. And you've got to try and make the conditions as good as possible for them. Yeah. And yes, you're obliged to hit the targets, but at the same time, you've got to kind of meet the demands and yeah. the needs of your employees and your customers. So for them, I think it will be a positioning book which will help them think differently. I know yeah. a number of people that have used some of the concepts already with the companies I've mm. worked with. Just take, take a step back to reframe the problem and then to rethink the solution. Yeah. And the third person is... Anybody running an organisation, a not-for-profit or a charity, or someone Mm. that just wants to have a better way to organise the organisation. You know, those companies or those organisations generally aren't so fixated on the profit, but there's still a desire to create something with a legacy, to create something better than what's currently there. And I think what I'm trying to do is give people permission to move into a different way of working, and yeah. to help them understand that there doesn't have to be one way of doing this. There's lots of companies that have moved to a purpose-driven strategy, and this is building on from that, really. Yeah. I mean, I love, I think that, you know, when you're t- the title of the book, you know, where it ends with rethinking business success, I think that's that kind of sums it up for me. I think it's, you know, actually, we're used to the fact that business success means more money, uh, more sales, uh, more profit. But actually, the world is shifting. And I think when you talk about, you know, the not-for-profit organizations as well that are within that, do you think that the situation we've been in for the last 12 months with COVID has increased the need for this book even more? I think what it's done, Jane, is given people that opportunity to pause. So yeah. there's a deliberate pause in some industries because obviously they've had to furlough yeah, a lot yeah. of staff. But I think that pause gives people a chance to reset the way they work. You know, a lot of us are working from home suddenly. Yeah. Are they going to go back into the workplace? And if they do go back in the workplace, are they going back in full time? Are they going to do it flexi? So I think business owners at this stage have got a lot of opportunity Mm. to rethink and restructure and reassess because COVID's given us that. It's forced it upon us. Mm. 
you know, I'm, I work quite a bit with education and education's seen amazing transformation over the past Absolutely. 11 months because it's had to, but the benefits will last for many years. Yeah. And I think that's where the challenge lies is that, you know, is there a better way that we can educate children? Mm. What is the best way of doing that? Not just the way that we've done it previously, which just means adding more people into bigger and bigger schools. Yeah. And this sausage factory mentality. Yeah. You know, what does better look like within education? And now that we've got the blended learning, the ability to teach across schools and stuff like that, and the same for businesses, you know, what does a better situation, do they really need their salespeople on the road all the time? Yeah. Is that best for the person? Is that best for the environment? Is that best for the customer? Where is the value in jumping on a plane and flying? I mean, you know more this more than me. (laughs) But the number of times that you've said, you know, that one-day meeting is actually three days of my time... Yes. Just to get to Zurich yeah, or whatever. Yeah, and the environmental impact of that sits quite hard. And were you that much better in person than you would have been in another way? Was yeah. that trade-off actually worth it? So yeah. I think COVID's given us all a chance in many of areas of our life to sit back and say, hang on a minute, do I have to do it like that? Yeah. What if, and I think just those two words, what if, yeah. and then just leave a gap? And I think I think one of the it's it's really interesting, isn't it? I think and, and as you know, I've done quite a lot of work in the past around more dynamic ways of working for better want of a better kind of work word. So actually being able to really think about the work that you need the people in your business to do and where can they do that? And then actually letting them make that decision as well. So that actually, you know, I guess one of the things about releasing control a bit, which is actually a lot of that, you know, when we start to think about, well, actually, how can you work in a better way to release some of your own overwhelming pressure? You have to release that spring a bit, but that means you have to trust people. And I think if we look at what COVID's done, I guess it has, people have been forced to allow their people to work from home and work in different ways. As you described salespeople, you know, they haven't been able to be on the road having face-to-face meetings. And you know, some businesses have still done very well out of that, as you say, without massive fuel bills, whether that's cars or flights or or actually the pressure that comes with that horrendous commuting, that relentless, I guess, being on the road feeling. So, you know, I agree with you completely. I think it's a, what, what I think will be really interesting, I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts is, I hear a lot and it and it worries me. I hear, a, you know, all the time on the news, it's like, when will we get back to normal? When will we go back to how it was. And yes, there's a huge amount of stuff that people miss that we would love back. But I really like what you're saying about actually let's pause and rethink so that we don't automatically go back to the stuff that was actually pretty rubbish. The stuff that caused the problem in the first place. Yes. Yeah. And and I think the one of the ideologies I push forward in the book is this idea of embracing the plateau. So when we look at mountain climbing, we have this simplistic childlike view that a mountain is that triangle shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that we're just climbing all of the time. Whereas we know that when we walk or climb a mountain, actually it's a combination of climbs, plateaus and some descents. Yeah. And I think business is very much like that. And I think that certain times, organisations need to embrace a plateau and just give the organisation time to catch up. Yeah. 
I think a very strong-willed, ambitious leader is like that person leading a mountain climb, which is kind of racing up the rock face, and yeah. everyone else is clinging on behind, gasping for oxygen, and not really sure of how long they're going to be on the rock face for. Yeah, I think that's really interesting, and I, I've seen it in my in you know we've talked a lot about you know our own personal journeys as well as the businesses we work with, and I've seen that in myself times. And if I think back to when I've had leadership positions, I don't think I was very easy to work for because, you know, I was really driven. And and in the way you're describing about that, you know, almost that constant focus of more, so I have to do more. And actually, the environment you create for those around you is one where that's the expectation that you set. And I... I think it sort of leads me into one of the questions I wanted to ask you, which is, you know, we've talked a lot about what we think leadership behaviours and traits, you know, which ones are important. And I think yeah. this this shift in focus from everything being bigger, faster, to actually thinking, okay, what does better actually look like in the kind of broadest scope? In your view, what are some of the key traits and behaviours that mm. leaders need to focus on and develop to work in this different way? I think what we're crying out for as a society and as employees is inspirational leaders. Yeah. I think people become leaders and get promoted to leadership roles based on other factors you know, generally they're technicians who are promoted because they're a good technician and a good technician becomes a manager and a manager becomes a leader. And there's not a lot of logic in that because the skill set is very different. And I think if we look across um, society at the moment, there's a lot of the time a gap or an opportunity for inspirational leaders to step in. And I think, yeah. you know, just seeing how different countries have responded to COVID the ones that have responded best, in inverted commas, are the ones where the leadership's been very strong and very certain, and people have followed. You know, we as the public generally will do what's best for our country. You know, there are exceptions, but individually I think we have a moral compass, which means that as long as someone explains the why, then we'll generally follow through on that. And I think for me what's missing is inspirational leaders. Yeah, And for inspiration, I think there's three things that needs to be in play. I think they need to be very good visualisers. I think that creating a visual imagery around what the future could be, I think is really important. You know, their job is not to work on the day-to-day. Their job is Mm. to talk about next year and what's the bigger picture that we're all here for. I think they need to be really good persuaders and listeners, So I think they need that ability to take on board other people's thinking and combine it with their own. So I think this idea that, you know, leaders shouldn't U-turn is so antiquated. You know, a U-turn is necessary if you're heading the wrong direction. Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and it's a sign of strength to put your hand up and say, I've actually changed my position on this. Yeah. You know, new information has come forward and I now don't think that what I said before was the best course of action. Yeah. And I think it's so refreshing when you hear a leader say that because it shows they're human. So I think that visualisation and persuasion are important and I also think empowerment. 
I think okay. that leaders need to visibly empower others to take control of certain situations. Okay. And I don't think it has to be the same leader all the time. In the COVID situation, do we actually need the prime minister leading? Do we need the health person? Do we need the scientists? Who, who is the best person to lead us through this crisis? Yes. And it doesn't have to be the person at the top. Yes. Often it can be somebody else within the organisation. And this can apply to a meeting or a workshop. You know, who is the best person to lead this workshop? Who's the best person to lead this meeting? And I think that that kind of passing of the leadership baton to the person who's in the best position to do that particular project yeah. is a really interesting way for businesses and countries to operate if they dare to go there. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? But actually, I think it's a massive shift. I think what you said was, you know, it's about visible empowerment. And there's two bits in there for me, because I think, you know, there's something I think particularly that we see in, not just, but I think in kind of, you know, in small and medium-sized businesses and growing businesses, because they've often been started by a person or a couple of people, it's massively kind of ingrained that actually they are the ones that will that have to make the decisions. And it may not be a control, you know, it's about actually they feel they need to be the ones who make the decision uh, to carry all of the stress, to do all of the work, to, to be seen to be kind of owning everything and accountable for everything. So it's a massive thing to then say, actually, you don't. And then one of the other things that comes up for me when you're talking about that is that ability for leaders to trust that other people will have the best interests of the business at heart and will do their very best. Yeah, it's a leap of faith, definitely, Jane. And I think that, again, they've got to ask themselves if the current way of working is working for them because it's not sustainable. At some point, you can't be in every meeting, you know. No. You've got to empower anyway or you've got to delegate. Empowerment for me is just a more healthy version of delegation, you know, yeah. empowerment to me suggests a two-way conversation, mm. an agreement of what that looks like. And there's this idea that um, the leader needs to have the compass but not the map. Okay. So Tell me more. Need, well, you need to make sure you're still heading the right direction. But how you get there doesn't actually matter too Absolutely. much as long as you arrive there within time and on budget. And a lot of the time, the leader wants both. The leader wants to say, well, I know the best way to go. <laughs> follow me <laughs> yeah. and there's no leadership yeah. in that there's no learning for other people whereas there yeah. might be a better way to do this and if all I'm going to do is speak first and speak loudest nobody else is going to offer an alternative and one of the things I try and coach my companies and my leaders on is this ability and the confidence to speak last and to speak least in a meeting so if all I'm going to do in a meeting is tell everyone else what I think I'm not going to learn anything yeah. because everyone else is going to shut up. Yeah, and zone out, I think. And particularly if you think about, you know, the, the millions of Zoom meetings, you know, the hours we spend, if somebody's going to sit there and pontificate, yeah. we are going to switch off. And even when it's my turn to speak, I can't remember what the hell I was going to say <laughs> because I switched off 50 minutes ago. And I can't yeah. disagree with what's already been said because the leader's stated something in a very strong way. Whereas if the leader has got the confidence to go around the room first, they will learn 11 other people's opinion yeah. and they've got the ability to adjust what they're going to say based on what was said beforehand. Yeah. 
And I think there's that confidence to actually say, well, in this situation, Jane, I want you to lead this meeting and I'll sit back as a participant. And I think that's the opportunity that exists. I think one of the other things that when you talk about that ability and willingness to sit back and ask other people first also kind of brings up something for me about, I talk about it a lot and I know we've talked about it, about what does authenticity actually mean? So being, for me, it's about being yourself. And I think quite often, and I see clients that come to me, that if particularly if they're looking for big promotions, they've been told that actually to get those promotions, they need to be more like the person who's already doing that job. And the more senior that job, the more important it is to be just like them, which is, you know, in my view, it's like, you know, you can only be the best version of yourself, you you know, and actually you don't necessarily want to replicate and, and bring those traits. So actually what you're describing in that in that meeting where people are all asked for their opinion based on themselves and what they bring brings a massive diversity of thinking into that room. And I think diversity is, you know, is a very current word for everybody in many different ways. But I think mm. the diversity and kind of type of people in a leadership team is really important. Absolutely. And if you get lots of mini-me's, it doesn't create that diversity. And actually to have the rebel in the room, to have the person that kind of is a bit off off kilter in terms of their viewpoint and brings different ways of thinking in, Mm. is a really healthy member of most teams, isn't it? If you look at any kind of team. It is. You need people that are going to challenge the status quo and feel comfortable doing that. Yeah. Um, to get yeah. the best solution. And, and actually to get, I think that to, to even get a different solution, you know, moving away from the risk of all of the groupthink, you know, some of the research around groupthink is terrifying, isn't it? Where you actually, you know, where, where because a couple of people have said that black is white, suddenly the whole world has, you know, that the rest of the room follows, even though they know that it's actually not the case. And it's just a crazy kind of situation that groups get into that actually that's for me that's you know that diversity of thinking is massive one of the things that kind of also makes me think about with the businesses that you work that you work with principally lots of in in really big corporates leaders get development as leaders yeah now when things are cut so it'd be interesting now you know when you think you know with kind of covid and if if particularly in businesses where revenue has dropped and profits have dropped, you end up with that being one of the first things that's cut. But actually, generally, in big businesses, you are taught how to be a leader to an extent. You know, you get to go on courses about how to be a leader. You may get a coach to support you to become a leader. In a lot of the businesses that you work with, that's not an, isn't it? You know, almost even if you have a HR function or a HR person, they are there to control what people are paid, keeping you out of legal problems with contracts, yeah. but not... Not the development side. Not the development side. Mm-hmm. In terms of the work that you do, so leading on to kind of the work that you do, I'm really interested in the sort of the, some of the clients that you work with and the work that you do. So, you know, you give them the space and the tools to think about their business, to refocus around their business and to plan what they want to do next. But you also give them some of that leadership coaching that leadership sort of perspective can you tell me a little bit about the work that you yeah I mean mean, most of my clients are all of my clients I think are very good at what they do in terms of their day job so they understand their industry and they understand their business to an extent 
And my work is trying to help them understand what's missing for them in terms of leadership. If we say that we are all a work in progress in terms of our ability, Mm. then we've all got, you know, the opportunity to grow if we give ourselves the space and time to do that. So whether Mm. it's fitness, whether it's leadership, you know, it's a case of allocating some time and resource to move us on to the next level and being clear on what that looks like. So what I help them with is that clarity. I'm a big advocator that we should spend time working on the business rather than in. And I'm trying to demonstrate with my clients and, and, and do this for them what that could look like. So allocating time each week away from the normal office, away from their normal desk, either in conversations with me, in conversations with their leadership mm. team, or just on their own. But just working through the what-if scenarios, just thinking about what's going to come next and how they need to, or what the opportunities are for them to work differently. Mm. So I'm trying to get them to consciously work on leadership as a project because their ability as a leader is both the biggest limiting factor in terms of organisational growth, but also the biggest opportunity. So I think that once they recognise that and they're aware of that, then getting them to do the work on it is relatively easy. The hard thing is getting people to recognise it and to admit that they need to spend time in this particular space because they feel that they've got enough or they feel that they haven't got the time to do it. So it's trying to help them rethink the way they ought to operate. Yeah. I, I also wonder if there's an element in there of people who are in those positions feeling that actually, well, I'm here, so I better make out I know what I'm doing. And actually that, you know, you alluded to some of the kind of humility needed to kind of earlier on in terms of being able to learn. But actually, if you're the boss of a business like that, and actually you see, it doesn't matter if it's kind of what size of that business, because, you know, you see it a lot with big organization kind of C-suite people, because actually it's quite a lonely place because it's a hell of a brave leader that says... Actually, I'm not quite sure what to do. You know, and actually, even with your peers, you're often competing for that role. So to say you don't know the answer or to know where to look for help yeah. is huge. It, it, it's massive, but it's so important because yeah. unless we admit that the stuff we don't know, then other people can't help us to discover it. And you've been in many meetings more than me where, you know, people have been presented to and half the room haven't understood what's being presented. But no, no but one's got the courage to put their hand up and say, actually, <laughs> I've got no idea what you're on about. Could you just yeah. explain what that means? Can yeah. you break this down a level for me? Because you're speaking a level which is above my understanding. You yeah. know, finance people are classic with this. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. they will speak financial jargon and expect the rest of the room to understand their terminology. And everyone just sits in the room and nods. Absolutely. And nobody questions it because they're the finance department. Yeah. And it's a really unhealthy organisation where you have nobody admitting that they are a work in progress. You know, I I read something um, recently where the person was talking about the fact that actually people, the concept that you're never, you're never a leader, you're on the journey to becoming one. Yeah. And, you know, 
as we are as human beings. You know, Absolutely. It, 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 it sounds yeah. very philosophical, but I think if you take that approach, that um, there's a guy, a leader I love called David Hyatt for Hewitt Denim. And yep. he brought out the yearbook this year, which talks about 1% better each day. Okay. And 1% better each day means that by the end of the year, you're 37% better because okay. of the compounding effect. Yeah. And you haven't got to make a massive jump. You've just got to make gradual, small improvements yeah. in either your understanding or your abilities or your attributes. But that liberating thought that all I've got to do is move forward by that much, you know, a small amount each day. Yeah. For me, it's really and, energizing. And, and, you know, that applies to so much of our life. I think, you know, you and I met each other through triathlon. Um, yeah. I wasn't necessarily going to talk about triathlon, but actually, you know, we met that way and you know you've done a lot of you know really long course triathlons and I was aspiring and I remember you saying to me when I was going I can't run a marathon and you were like Jane you've got however long it was we were talking in advance probably 10 months or so and you were saying you just have to do a little bit more each day you don't have to be able to run 26 miles today Jane you have to run it in 10 months time. So every day you just need to do a tiny bit more. And it was just like, oh, that, it, it, although you kind of know that, yeah. you almost can paralyze yourself for fear of what you've got to do rather than thinking, I'll just take one step. And, and it is that very corny and very overused one set at a time, but you've got yeah. to just work. Well, you haven't got to, you have the opportunity to work with that mentality. Yes. I think the other thing where you helped me massively and I is something I would like to share with people that are listening is the concept around accountability. Now, accountability is a word that we knock around a lot, but actually you really introduced me to the concept of personal accountability. And I, I don't know how much, if you know how much that actually revolutionized the way that I work and gave me a lot of confidence to do a lot of the things in my business. You know, I remember we started talking and created an accountability partnership, which is something you do with a lot of your clients, isn't it? And I've talked to it sort of to some people, but I think it's something that I'd really love to share. And I'm going to let you describe what an accountability partnership is in your words, and then I'll kind of talk about my experiences of that. I think for accountability to work well, there's got to be some underlying values in place, which we have. And that's a combination of caring, challenging, and curiosity. So I think with a good accountability partnership, there is a safe space created because you care about the other person and the outcome enough to hold them accountable. But at the same time, you're willing to challenge them. Yeah. Because you know that that challenge is what they need to be a better version of the current self. And then if you lead with curiosity, you know, I'm interested, Jane, why you haven't done that yet. <laughs> it's not a direct challenge. It just yeah. comes from that place of, Jane, tell yeah. me what's going on for you there. And it gives you the opportunity to say, well, actually, what is going on for me? Hmm, why haven't I done that? Let me unpack yeah. that. So I think that... An accountability conversation is one where the, both parties are happy with silence because yeah. silence is where the deeper thinking occurs. Mm. And it's a really strange concept that we as coaches sometimes get paid for silence. 
Yeah. But silence is a really strong element of a good relationship because it means, you know, someone's having to dig deeper for the answer. Yeah. The answer is not immediately apparent, which generally means you've asked a good question or you've asked a challenging question. So mm. with all my clients, I try to bring an accountability element to the work. Yeah. Because I don't feel they generally have somebody that holds them in that way. They don't have that relationship outside because they've got no. people reporting into them who are accountable to them. They've got their partner or their wife or their husband who's bored silly <coughs> of hearing about the business and they don't really want to go there on that relationship. Mm. So it gives a different relationship which they haven't got. And also, importantly for me, it mirrors how I feel they ought to be with the people below them. Absolutely. Yeah. I think I'm quite driven in many ways, but also when you work alone a lot of the time, you start to believe your own rhetoric, whether that's the positive stuff or the negative stuff. And I remember quite a lot of the conversations. So where we would have those sessions and I think for people to kind of, you know, these are not hours long meeting, whether we would have like a 30 minute session, 15 minutes each, we would talk about what had gone really well, you know, or what we'd learned from the week before, what our hopes were for the kind of coming week and think about the key things, actions that we were going to take. And actually, importantly, the three contacts that we were going to make. And it was really interesting because if I think about those contacts, quite often the same contacts would stay on that list week after week. And I'd make up an excuse going, well, I didn't kind of, and I couldn't. And I, when you have uh, that partnership with someone who's, who, as you say, has that balance of support and challenge to say, well, actually, why haven't you? What is going on? Because sometimes they're not the right people for you to be contacting. And that's the answer. The other answer can be that you're scared of something. Yeah. Scared of making a fool of yourself, scared of them saying no, whatever that might be. And I, but having that support there as well to say, actually, what is, what actually is going on? And what are you actually going to do about it? And actually really pushing to say, right, these are the things that you're going to do before the end of next week. And almost if not, because actually there's no consequence, is there? If I come back to you and go, I didn't do any of it. Oh, great, Jane. But actually there's a kind of push, isn't there, to say, well, why not? And what do you truly want? Because I think the other bit that is really, you know, I tend to operate a lot my own kind of work, I think a little bit, the planning side of it, I tend to operate a little bit by gut instinct. And the discipline you gave me to say, okay, what are the values that underpin your business? What are the kind of core competencies within that? And actually, what is your plan, Jane? So if you keep talking about the fact that you're going to do X, Y, or Z, doing this podcast might be an example, then actually... What are you going to break that down into? And I know this, you know, it's like, it's not that you don't know the theory and you don't know how to kind of create a strategic plan for other people or all of the plans that go underneath it. But that kind of support as an accountability partner who, who doesn't have a vested interest in what the outcome of my business is really massively, massively helped me. And I think I just wanted to urge anyone listening today to think, you know, you and I came together as two friends who had sport in common, discovered we had a real business interest in common and have been able to be accountability partners for each other that's driven both our businesses forward. And I think it's as simple as that, isn't it? I think it is. And I think that, you know, we can all overcomplicate business and we can overcomplicate life. 
And in the end, it boils down to what are we going to do today that makes us a better version of who we were yesterday? Yeah. You know, what are we going to move forward in our business, in our personal life, in our health, in our spirituality? You know, we have the choice and yeah. most of us have the luxury of time and resource to be able to do those things. And, I, and <clears throat> you know, with the book itself, I think what I'm trying to do is bring awareness to people that they are accountable for what they've created, both in the positive sense yeah. of the word, but also in the negative sense that if you've got a mess underneath yeah. you, hey guys, that's your mess, congratulations. Yeah. If you've brought some people in that aren't fit for purpose, well, you chose them. You know, if you have some structures that aren't strong enough or some processes that don't work, well, that's within your ability to change those. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's just sometimes we we put too much importance on things we can't control and that gives us a way out. You know, I can't train for my marathon today. It's, it's raining. It's windy, <laughs> you know. And yeah, it's, it's like, too hot, it's too cold. Yeah, and, and we haven't got time. I've got this yeah. to do instead. And I think that that's fine if we want to live our life like that and if we want a business like that. And I think what I'm trying to encourage people to do is just say, look, this is difficult. It's not easy, but it's doable. All you need to do is make the commitment. And that first commitment for me is that kind of central, <clears throat> better before, bigger message. Because once they, once they believe that and once they announce that to everybody, everything else changes. Yeah. You know, you're giving permission for people to work on better <clears throat> and just to spend that time internally thinking, you know, what does a better organisational structure look like? What does a better workplace look like? Yeah. And I think that's a really freeing concept yeah. because what we tend to do in life is refer people to things which are really good. We don't refer people to the biggest restaurant. We refer people to the best restaurant in town. Yeah. And better is what resonates. No one's remembered for being the biggest. There's only one biggest in most field. Yeah. But the concept of better, we can be a better organisation than yesterday. We can service our customers better. I just think it's a freeing mm. mentality, mm. whereas biggest is so limiting and so competing. Yes. And I think one of the other things that comes out, there's a couple of things that come out in, in what you just said for me as well. And you talk about making the commitment. And I think... I talk about, and we've talked a lot before about choice. Yeah. And I think there's that moment when you make the choice to commit or you make the choice not to commit. But I think, you know, there is that very definite, isn't it? And, and I kind of, it's, I often feel like it's a bit of a mantra, but I'm like, actually, when you make a choice to do X, you actually make a choice not to do something else. But Absolutely. don't kid yourself that you aren't making a choice. So if you're not committing yeah. to moving your business forward or to... Or actually, it could be the choice that actually you decide you don't want to run a massive Absolutely. business, but you're going to focus, you're going to do something very different. That's a choice. And you, and actually, it's a fine, it's absolutely fine. But don't kid yourself really, that you yeah. don't have the choice. It's a really valid choice. And it's one where, <clears throat> as you say, we, we should be able to state that very clearly. I only want a 20-person business you know, I only want a million pound turnover size business, it's fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that at all. If that serves you, if that fulfills you, then there shouldn't be the desire to create something bigger than what you want. Because yeah. some of the best businesses around are small focused businesses. 
where they're a certain size and a certain shape and they just deliver one product or one offering and they do that brilliantly well. And there's something lovely when you find those businesses that they're like the best kept secret. There's something yeah. really fulfilling about it. And I, yeah. and I don't know this, but I imagine everybody works in those businesses probably far happier and more fulfilled than they are in bigger businesses. So I think yeah. it is that conscious choice making. And what I'm trying to do is give people another option. Yes. And say, look, you can carry on doing what you're doing or there's this option. Just make a choice because you can't do both. Yeah. And, and I think people often can come to either to, you know, to, to, to business coaches like yourself or, you know, uh, sort of leadership behavior coaches like myself and think they've reached a point where they're, be- they're completely overwhelmed and often don't feel they have a choice. Yeah. Sometimes they do. They come for very different reasons. But one of yeah. the common reasons is that I am completely overwhelmed and I have no choice. You know, I have to earn X because I have a mortgage of Y. I have yeah. to... I have X number of staff. I have to kind of be able to turn over this. But whatever the rationale might be, everyone's looking to me. I'm responsible for it all. And that that overwhelm is frightening. Yeah. It's dangerous for people to be in that position. I think, you know, mentally, it's a frightening place to be. But how wonderful would it be if people actually were able to take that step back, think about the choices they have, understand the kind of concepts that you're talking about before they reach that point. Yeah, there's this idea of sigmoid curves where you've got these curves occurring at different points and different start points. And I think the idea that you create the second business before you need it. So when Mm. you're halfway up the curve on the way up, that's the time to start thinking about the next way of working things. Yeah. So the point of... Um, overwhelm is probably a little bit too late sometimes. Yeah. You can still do it from there, but starting when you're overwhelmed and physically and mentally tired is really challenging. Whereas if you start earlier than you think you need to on the basis that all businesses follow this general business life cycle curve and the knowledge that that's probably what's going to happen to your business unless you start the next version of it, And I think, again, that's a difference between leaders and managers. Mm. I think management is about making 2021 as good as it can be. Leadership is about what we do in 2022. What does 2023 look like? Because I want my leaders to have a vision of what's next. I know the current situation. I'm living it. I'm here. But what comes after this? Yeah. You know, and a good leader will be looking further horizon-wise than a manager. Yeah. A manager's just trying to get through this yeah. month, meet target for this quarter. You know, yeah. that's their very narrow and short-term focus. But I think leadership is about looking further and also looking wider. Mm. You know, what can I learn from other industries that I can apply to my industry? I'm still amazed at how small most leaders' <laughs> network is. Yeah. And the people they knock around with are from the same industry. And it goes back to what you were talking about earlier about groupthink. We all see the same world and we reinforce that with our conversations. I I remember a conversation that I had with a very senior leader in a big corporate. I knew them socially, not not through a work context. And they were talking about searching for a coach. And they were saying that they'd been recommended quite a few and they'd rejected them all because they weren't of a similar level. 
and they wouldn't understand what it was like for them. And that's really interesting. And I think actually that search for almost like, if I'm a chief exec, I want an ex-chief exec to coach me. Yeah. Well, great, because they're very likely to collude with you. You can learn from each other's experience, but actually, as you've said, having you don't need to know anything about a person's, the technical detail. So we're right back to where we started that conversation, aren't we? Where, you know, the accountant becomes the FD. Yeah. The technician becomes the ops director. Yeah. Your your knowledge is, and actually, it's it's not a it's not a criticism that the knowledge is narrow because that's the path that people have yeah. followed. But actually, to be allowed to have that permission to go, well, what if? And actually, what can we learn from other industries? And if you go back to you know, innovation, you know, I worked with what if. Um, actually the company, what if, you know, quite a few years ago. Yeah. And I think, you know, that wonderful concept of, you know, what would, a, what would a child say? You know, what would somebody, you know, there was a wonderful kind of like exercise where it was like, you know, if somebody landed from space and kind of ended up in the middle of this kind of business, how would they understand what the hell was going on? Yeah. And actually looking at it from that sort of eye of something completely different and you know, looking at another world to try and be able to then come back and look with fresh eyes, I think is a is a wonderful, you know, it's a wonderful gift to have that. But I think it's something, as you say, that leaders have to do. Yeah, and, and, and again, it goes back to conscious choice, doesn't it? Now more than ever, it's so easy to see what other people are doing. There's so much resource available yeah. online. There's so many yeah. TED Talks. There's so many courses. Yeah. You can educate yourself so easily and so cheaply yeah. Yeah. if you choose to do so. You know, yes. how many podcasts are there? How many TED yeah. Talks? You know, you, you've got such an array, but it's then, you know, the hard thing is sometimes filtering that out. But nobody yeah. can say there isn't the opportunity to learn. No. You know, now more than ever, the surplus opportunity. Yeah. And I think leaders are sometimes overwhelmed by that as well, Jane. I think there is that. Yes. You know, yes. Where do I narrow? Who do I turn to? I've got so many people I could talk to. Well, who's, you know, and I think there's that, again, paradoxical situation where they've got to comfortably sit between those two states, that they've got to find, you know, a group of people they can work with. And I think this is why mastermind groups have become so successful, Yeah, is that people are meeting with other leaders to talk about leadership. Yes. And they're realising that, hey, these other guys from totally different industries have challenges that, actually sound and look like mine yeah so it, yeah. there could be some commonality here there could be something I could learn from this that I could apply and I think that that taking yourself out of your own environment and sticking yourself into a different environment on a regular basis you know the same way as traveling broadens the mind in terms of culture it's the same principle isn't it that if you sit yeah. in the same room with the same seven people around you yeah the chances are you're going to come up with the same answers yes Particularly if you're in that as the lead, as the kind of overall most senior person, and you think you're meant to have all of those answers, so actually, the chances to explore are really are really, really limited in that situation. And, and leaders have that choice of where they're spending their day, who they're spending their day with. Yeah, nobody's checking up on them. They have that luxury. Yeah, because it's their time and their resource. Yeah, and, and I know they don't sometimes feel they have. But they do. And that, they again, do. is what we're trying to encourage. And wow, wouldn't the kind of uh, ultimate be if they then allow the people that work for them to also experience that and have that kind of level of choice? And, and actually, it's sort of like we're full circle, I guess, again, back to, the you know, going, coming out of this 
COVID situation yeah. about making some very conscious choices about the future rather than just assuming we go back to how it was before. Yeah, and, you know, it's been tried in a number of places, some successfully, some not, you know, four-day working weeks and Friday spending time on projects rather than on client work. I think there's lots of good examples out there of how you can structure this differently, but it still boils down to the leader leading in that way and setting the example and setting the tone to enable the rest of the organisation to follow. Um, And until they've been there and done it, until they've convinced themselves that this is the way that works, it's very difficult for that to filter down through the organisation. So again, it's a conscious choice they've got to make. Okay. Well, it's been, you know, we could talk for hours. Unfortunately, we haven't got hours, but we could talk for hours about leadership, about business, And we talked a little bit about your own business, but I'm also interested in a couple of things about you. And I wanted to ask you two questions. The first is, what do you do to create structure within your day or your week? So you work for yourself. You're working from your home office at the moment. How do you create that structure? And then on the flip side of that, how do you create balance in your life? Because you have, you know, fuzzy boundaries, I guess, with kind of work, the way that, you know, you work. So how do you create that structure and how do you create the balance? Well, first, I need to say that I'm a work in progress. I don't think I've solved (laughs) this one, but I think I have periods where I solve it better than other periods. Um, What I tend to do is work from the inside out. And by that, I mean that I start the day focusing on me which sounds very selfish, but I don't think that I can be the best partner, the best coach, the best associate, unless I'm in a good place. So I start the day with some physical activity, some yoga, maybe some meditation, a little bit of reading, but generally just working in my own space. I get up quite early and I enjoy that time in the morning when no one else is up. Okay. I then focus on those that are close to me and make sure they're okay. I then try and spend my morning time in this kind of session where I'm doing something different or doing something which is developing. Yeah. And I try and schedule client work from 12 o'clock onwards. Okay. So I kind of structure my day where it works the same pattern or a similar pattern most days because I find I'm most creative first thing in the morning. So that's the time where I'm better at writing and better at thinking about client solutions and client problems. So I tend to use that as my creative time. And then the afternoon I'm working with people because that picks my energy level up. So my energy levels are naturally high during the mornings. Yeah. But sometimes if I haven't got client meetings in the afternoon, I find my energy levels drift. Yeah. But by being involved with clients in the afternoons, that keeps my energy levels high. And what it enables me to do is to bring my thinking from the morning into those sessions. I think that's brilliant, Nick, actually, because it does flip it on its head quite a lot from what quite... Totally. Uh, yeah, it does flip it on its head and it's given me quite a lot to think about, actually, because I quite often will schedule those client meetings and discussions and then think I'm going to catch up on the stuff and the structure and the thinking for myself, which then can get squeezed. 
because I haven't kind of given it that priority. So that's really, really interesting. And, and, and it's only uh, the last kind of 12 months that I've realised that. So there has <laughs> been a, a switch over this yeah. period to saying, look, how does this work better for me? Yes. And if it works better for me, by default, it's going to work better for others. Yes. So yeah. in a relationship, if we're not taking care of ourselves, how can we take care of others? So it's that yeah. oxygen masks on a plane analogy that you've got yes. to put your own, on, your own oxygen mask on first because you can't help others if you can't breathe. That's brilliant. And, and in terms of balance, is, does that answer both questions? Or so um, does that um, give you the balance? It, it should give me the balance as long as I stick to it. I think that when I'm, I mean, it's difficult at the moment, isn't it? Because we can't go out and we can't introduce other things into our day. So we are limited. Yeah. But I tend to use exercise as my balancing point that I'll kick, yeah. my, kick myself out of my office at a certain point and go for a run as a way of drawing the work day to an end. So I find, I find exercise is great to kind of balance the work. Yeah. And also I think I find it great as a creative space. I find I do kind of have realisations and solve problems while I'm running and cycling. Yeah. And I find that's a very therapeutic time. So yeah. I think my balance is okay considering, and I'm yeah. really looking forward to the stage where we can bring more balance back in by having yeah. some physical socialising. Yeah. And I, and I think what I really like, you know, you said a lot of things, Nick, that have been you know, they've already been inspirational to me because I've been lucky enough to hear a lot of them before. But I think I'm excited that other people can now listen and, and hear that. And and actually, I think, you know, the, the closing bit where you said that, you know, you're a work in progress and you're testing these things out and you're aware that when we go, when things start to lift and we get more freedom, we actually need to keep some of that stuff that we've learned yeah. and keep those boundaries that, that allow us to perform at our best. Um, and, and and actually, I think, you know, that's starting with yourself. And it does, you know, we started the conversation talking about an overarching theme about business and leadership within business. But actually, we've ended it talking about how it, how it starts with ourselves. And I think, you know, the message for me, for, for leaders out there is actually, it starts with you. And actually, you have to take care of your own self in terms of physically, mentally, create, creatively, yeah. to be able to be able to make decisions that are the right for the business and the people that work for you and all the rest of it. So it isn't an either or, it's actually an entire system with humans at the middle of it. So thank yeah, you so, so much, Nick. It has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you on here um, and have you as a guest on my podcast and actually to let other people share the ideas and the concepts that will be in your book. Thank you, Jane, for inviting me. It's been really enjoyable as ever. <laughs> we could talk for hours. I would just like to say again, a massive thank you to Nick for joining me today uh, and for sharing his experience and his thinking with us. One of the main things that's come through from the conversation with Nick today has been about the importance of being able to allocate time to think, to explore and to make some conscious decisions about where you want to focus uh, your business, where you want it to go in the future and what you want that to mean for you as a business owner and leader. If you're in the process of actually thinking about creating your own business or even working within a large corporate, I still think that having that time to really think about 
what's next for your business or for your part of a large corporate business is really, really critical. Nick also talked at the end about what works for him in terms of giving structure to his day and also what brings him balance. Now, for every one of us, that's going to be different. The things that I find relaxing are probably not the things that other people do. Um, But I think the message is the same. I think starting to think about yourself, about the things that work for you to keep you physically, mentally and creatively at your best um, are really, really important. So my ask of you, having listened to this podcast, if you choose to accept it, is to really allocate some time and think about what you need to do for yourself and actually to seek help if you need it. So that could be in the form of an accountability partner, which can be an informal relationship, uh, which, as it was between Nick and myself that we described, um, and helps you to establish a kind of framework around the way that you think and um, help to keep you real. It could be the seeking out and looking for the services of a business consultant and coach like Nick, or it could be the support of a coach like myself to help you to make some choices and to really help you to change the way uh, that you behave on a day-to-day basis. But whatever works for you, I would just urge you to take that time and to create the space so that you can think and make conscious decisions and choices. If you'd like to hear more conversations about leadership, behaviours and culture, then please subscribe. Thank you.